who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And rage on. What's up, scammers? It's your girl, Sue Smith, coming at you. Today is Wednesday morning, and I'm recording this the day after our crazy election and you know things could get crazier that's they always that's the thing about america is things could get crazier <laughs> unfortunately it's not a calm place this is not canada unfortunately and i know that like we are very facetious on this podcast and we try to make a joke out of everything but it's so that we can laugh to keep from crying. This is the day after the election. We don't know who the president is. It's either going to be someone who is calm and stable and has worked in government for 40 years or a reality TV star who has cost us over 200,000 lives and is clearly a racist and a sexual predator. So, and it's a toss-up, which is crazy. Like, if you're not in America, like... It's crazy that it's this close that our country is so racist. I apologize for talking about this right now, but like, how can you not talk about it? Um, we're not going to put out an episode this week. We were thinking about not putting out an episode. And even producer Kate was like, bitches, take the week off. Give yourself a break. But it's like, no, we know that you need content to check the fuck out. And that's why we're here. You got to get your mind off stuff. And we are here for that. So take a hot bath. I'm so into hot baths right now. Actually, like a tepid, more of a tepid bath because, you know, the baby, because if, if it's too hot, it like cooks the baby from the outside, like a, like you're boiling an egg kind of. That's what I've heard. I don't know if it's real. Like I said, like a lot of pregnancy stuff is scams. Anyway, take a tepid bath and listen to this podcast. And we are talking to a magician today who's revealing all his secrets, which is exactly what we wanted. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, if you need some other methods of checking out after this is over, I suggest Bravo. Bravo TV was made for a time like this. This is why Bravo was invented. Okay, okay, here's my pro tips. Like, 
Peacock um, is a free app that contains all old Bravo shows. So there's even, they've got like Bethany getting married on there and they've got Below Deck and they've got like old, old seasons of Housewives. So I recommend that. And just start wherever. Start with something you never thought you'd watch. Start with Below Deck. It's mindless and it's exactly what you need right now to take your mind off of everything that's going on. Please don't get discouraged. I know that optimism is hard right now. Optimism is really hard for me um, because I like literally lost my faith in God after Hillary Clinton lost the election four years ago. But whatever. I don't know. I'm on antidepressants. It's going to be okay. Anyway, um, listen to this podcast. Listen to Bravo. Thank you for supporting us. And we will catch you on the other side. Hopefully there's no civil war. (laughs) And if you're not in America, please fucking pray for us and send us all your good energy that, oh my God, that things are okay. Um, Thanks again. Uh, I'll see you next week. Bye. I'm Sue Smith. Yeah, I'm Caitlin Bronick. And, and we, love we love scams. scams. Welcome. Guys, we love scams. We love you. Welcome. You know, we're still in quarantine, and I have a feeling we're going to be saying we're still in quarantine for a very long time. It's not going to be, like, cute anymore, like, a breath of, No, you know, that's change. just, it's just life. It's not even, it's just quarantine it's not even life. a thing. Yeah. Not even oh, a thing. Oh, gosh. Not even a thing. Oh. Sue, how are you pregnant, Sue? Uh, uh. I'm like, this podcast is just going to turn into me whining about being huge, I think. Um, Actually, no, my fav- that's my favorite thing. I like, so I went to the doctor and they, last week, and they had you fill out like a depression screening, which I have like <laughs> filled out so many depression screenings in yeah, my life. Know. Like I knew how to ace this. So I was like, let me go soft on them. You know what I mean? Like, let me, yeah, yeah, yeah. let me go, go easy. easy. Let me go easy. I was like, I ace this. And then like later in the day, this social worker calls me and she was like, I'm calling about your <gasps> depression screening. I was like, I thought I did good. <laughs> she was like, it sounds like you're in a little bit of a funk. And I was like, you're like lady a little <laughs> lady you don't even know what a funk is am i ever and and i'm a liar so there's a lot of things we got to deal with no it's it, no, i mean to her yeah 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 you're lying yeah no in life you're not a liar but to this woman you were not telling the truth I w- and she even saw things were she could great. see right through me susan her name was susan too oh, susan uh, susan's are great yeah Shout out to all Susan. So I had an 8.30 a.m. call with Susan, and then I went and had my blood drawn, and that's how I'm doing. Wait, I have have a story for you from, we all know my pregnancy Facebook group. We all know and love this pregnancy Facebook group. It's intense. Yes, it is. We had a hot post over the weekend, you guys. Tell me. Um, Someone posted, if I have anal with my husband, (gasps) will it induce labor? And what did they say? There were over 300 comments and <gasps> most people were like, no, because there's only 75 people in the group, but there's 300, there's 300 comments. comments. <laughs> most people were like, no, because it's like vaginally induces labor. But a lot of people are fans of anal, which I did not know. I love that the group just lets it all out. I know. You know, after a while, you're all in quarantine. You're all pregnant. Let's just talk about anal and get to the point. I know. It's great. There's no, you know, pretenses here. Let's just jump in. It's great. It's great. Wow. I love your group. Tell them that we on the pod are big fans. <laughs> I'm probably not supposed to share that. <laughs>
Oh, well. Probably not. But, you know, we, nobody, guys, nobody find out what Sue's group is. Nobody tell them that we talked about their anal experiences. Exactly. But it's fine. We do. We are pro. We support them. Um, it's a cool time, guys. It's cool. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> We're doing great. We're so good. Um, uh, but guys, actually, today's episode, I am thrilled. We jumped on this subject incredibly lightning fast. Lightning fast. I think fast. in 15 minutes. Yep. I was like, can you be a part of this? We had an amazing, amazing listener respond so lovingly to our 100th episode and then tell us a little bit about himself. And we were like, well, get on our pod, mister. Get over here. He's an amazing listener who's also kind of a, an amazing scammer. He has many scams yeah. throughout his life. Oh, it's incredibly exciting. And maybe like, you know, cut from the same cloth, we hope. Yes. Please welcome Kevin Kevin Smith. Smith. Hello. Hi. Hello, Kevin. So happy to be here. I feel like I've known you guys for about a year now. <laughs> Thank God. That's what we need. <laughs> nice to meet you. We just need more familiarity and comfort in this world. Mm -hmm. I think most people who listen to this podcast are very comfortable with you ladies at this point. <laughs> you know what? We like it like that. You know what? Yeah. That's the only way we survive. We got to be soups honest. So Kevin, you contacted us because sweetly, he explained that he had no idea we hated our magician episode and was offering to give us some magician tips, Kevin, tricks. But then Kevin wants to set the record straight for magicians. He does. Yes. But he's also yeah. involved in a new number of wait, scams. Yeah, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Then we started texting and we were like, wait, Kevin, your life's incredibly interesting. So we'll let you start, Kevin, and then we're going to interrupt you a ton, a ton. because we're so yeah. curious okay. about your life. Yes. Okay. Sure. Uh, so... Like like you mentioned, I did not realize listening to the episode how frustrated Caitlin really was <laughs> until the 100th episode. Fire in because my eyes. I don't know if it was just because the podcast was early on and you guys were being just super sweet and accepting. <laughs> I think so. Uh, I, so I didn't pick up on any of the cues that now listening back to that episode again in preparation for this interview, <laughs> uh, now I picked up on them. For sure. Now so, you know my I hate you. Like okay. it's yeah. very subtle. It's very subtle. Yeah. Very yeah. subtle. Uh, so the the gentleman who was on before, I honestly don't. I don't think he meant to be frustrating. No, I, think I don't. He, totally. We I don't think, think he so. and he did a he did a very good job in my opinion of explaining certain things, but yes. I don't think he realized what podcast he was on because <laughs> this podcast is devoted to exposing scams and he seemed more like most magicians would be the type who wanted to perform for you and performing right. magic is pulling scams on people it seemed like he yes. had a code of honor he wanted to uphold it was really annoying and we don't have any yeah. honor yeah. on this podcast yeah. or any viewers so we can't see what's happening when sure. you perform your scams sure and magicians call I guess what I'm about to do, exposure. And they're, they're, it's a huge prohibition so against excited. it. They, <laughs> they, they don't want to do it. And it seems like there are a couple of different reasons. And most magicians who use the word exposure don't want to go into explanations or details for one of these two reasons. One is like he, I believe he mentioned actually in that episode, it wasn't his secret to tell. He, you okay. know, it belonged to somebody else. He didn't want to give it away. Uh, the other reason, and I think the reason that a lot more magicians do it is not because of high honor. It kind of relates more to something that Sue said in the follow-up episode when she saw a trick. I, I think it may have been at the Magic Castle 
And she thought it was great. And then her husband exposed it. And suddenly she's like, oh, well, that was nothing. Most magicians are very protective of their secrets because once the secret is known, it's just nothing. Mm, You're like, oh, special. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's no big deal. Anybody could mm-hmm. do that. So either, either they're kind of high-minded and wanting to protect other people's secrets, or the more common answer is they just don't want people to know how easy what they're doing really is. So they're good people that sure. I just have a problem with. <laughs> sure. I just want to be a, a magician too. Right. Okay, but at the Magic Castle, this one guy had a coin in his hand and then he was like, hold my hand. And I felt like some zinging and some pulse. And then the coin went to another hand, went to his other hand. That's magic, mm-hmm. my friend. That is magic. <laughs> it certainly seems that way. <laughs> but I, I assure you, I've been doing this since I was, I don't know, sometime prior to five years old. It was when I started I magic. Love I'm, it. I'm, I'm 38 now, so whatever that is. But I have never seen anything that couldn't be explained. Really? In some way. Absolutely. And That's so cool. Without seeing the actual performance, seeing the actual trick, there's no way I can tell you exactly what method he was using. Uh, and one thing that magicians rely on for most of our tricks and for the performances to be uh, worthwhile or to, to work is people have really bad memories. People <laughs> do not remember what happened to them five minutes ago. You you have a general idea, but you forget the details. That's so interesting. That's so true. a lot of time mid- Magicians work on well. There, there are a couple of principles, and I'll, I'll kind of go over them. I, if you see me looking over here, it's me looking at my notes. Hell uh, yeah, we love notes. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, such a big deal. But what one of those one of those principles is called distance, and distance doesn't necessarily mean physical distance. It can be d- distance in time too. So if I do something sneaky now, I'm going to do a lot of other stuff over here, sure, yeah. and make you forget exactly what it was that I did sneaky in this hand and just talk about this and tell a story and do this and get some time, get some distance in there. And then when I reveal this, you're like, now what did he exactly do? I don't remember Mm -hmm. the specifics. That's one reason why magicians very rarely will do the same trick twice. And if they do do the same trick again, uh, they usually use a different method to do it. So it's kind of like leading you down one path and then bam, hit you with a different methodology for pulling it off. Mm. That's so interesting. Yeah. So in regards to that trick, the the coin jumping from hand to hand, uh, one of the main principles of magic is called the one ahead principle. And it's where the magician does something in advance to prepare for it before you even know that the trick has started. Okay. Uh, a lot... <laughs> One of my favorite magicians, I'll probably talk about him a lot on here, is named Di Vernon. Uh, old time. He, he's passed away now, but he was the granddaddy of most magic that's out there today. He invented so many slides, super prolific. But one of the things that he already he said a long time ago was once the card is selected, the trick is already done. Everything after that is just set dressing. So oh. magicians love to work in advance. So if I were going to make... A, a ring or a coin jump from this hand to this hand. And I, we're on a Zoom call, so you guys can see what I'm doing. People can imagine. <laughs> we're good yeah. imaginers. If I'm going to make a coin jump from one hand to the other, I'm going to put a coin in that other hand first, long before we ever start talking. Wow. And then all I have to do is make it vanish from the first hand 
and then open that hand and the coin's already there and you think it's jump. And Sue's been ignoring the other hand the whole time because you're probably yeah. scratching your hair with it. You're putting it in and out of your pocket. Like you're using sure. that hand in a way that's still hidden from her. Okay. Yeah. But he made his <laughs> he made his hand go zing, 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 zing. Like his hand, like <laughs> I felt the energy transfer. How you okay. explain that then? Huh? Again, without seeing it, I can't say for certain. Okay. There's lot. There's that lots one was of magic. <laughs> he was recently it electrocuted. Could it could have been. And he was still feeling it. A lot of times when I do some some sleight of hand and I'm making something appear, vanish, or transpose from one hand to another, all I do is tense my hand really hard and it almost shakes. You, you, you can feel just that moment, momentary shake and that yeah. could be magic happening it could be a jolt of electricity yeah. um, it's really just your muscle contracting but if you time it right people are like oh i felt it something happened yes, right there yes you're totally right so fine muscle control magicians are all about really minutely working their bodies working their um practicing whatever they're going to do so much way more obsessively than uh you would ever give them credit for. So if your coin is in this hand and you're switching it to mm -hmm. the other hand where you already have the coin, what do you do? Just put it in your sleeve? You can. Sleeving is what that's called. Sleeving, okay. <laughs> not very clever, but <laughs> um, there, there's lots of ways. There's probably the oldest and most common way of vanishing an object is called a false transfer. That's where I would take something like this ring, grab it into this hand. Yeah. And then it disappears. <gasps> where to go? Guys, he just, he just, he just took his ring, put it in his left hand, opened his left hand, and it disappeared. And not not an edit. Nothing has changed in the Zoom call. We just saw it firsthand. Wait, Kevin, that's really good. No, Very no, no. Good. It's not. <laughs> that is <laughs> beginner magic book 101, magic for dummies, chapter one. Where did it one. go? Well, we're it dummies, so please explain. No. It's, it's right here. Yeah. I pretend to take it. Oh, you! And that's gone. You literally oh. switch it with your hands. No, he didn't I, it take it with his other hand. hand. Oh. A, a false transfer. An easier way. He makes way. you think he, he transferred it into the other hand, but he it never, never he went. He never did. An easier way would be just to do this. Oh, so oh my wow! God. It's, it's <laughs> okay, guys. So what? If you're listening, podcasting. no, it's per. Well, they're really smart. All of our listeners, you know, you're smart, Kevin. So what he did, guys, is he had a ring in his right hand. He showed it to us like he was transferring it into his left hand. But when he went to place in his left hand, he did the motion of dropping something into his hand, but he never actually dropped it into his hand. So it stayed in his right hand the whole time, even though he made it seem like his left hand caught something. He made it seem like his right hand dropped something. Then he shows you the empty left hand but that was because nothing was ever placed in there and the whole time he had been holding on to it yeah this is good i i feel like i can do <laughs> this, this is really good i can do this, this i'm gonna use Caitlin this on needed. my son yes. all day oh this is the this is the joy i needed 100 episodes <laughs> in thank god thank you. you came to my rescue oh you're very welcome and i feel and so smart yes <laughs> that's you the thing smart. you are smart the this stuff is just i have i've planned this out i've read it in a book or i've watched it in a video i've practiced it a thousand times before I ever show it to anybody. And there's tons of little bits of psychology that go into a move like that. And I honestly don't feel like I'm betraying some, you know, magical no, it brotherhood seems like beginner, yeah, 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 it's early trailer information. Like, I mean, like most, trailer of a movie, not trailer oh, yeah, trash. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's in every 
yeah. beginner kids magic book imaginable false transfer yeah, okay. and there's all different names for the false transfers there's french drops there's classic palms there's uh, web retentions lo- lots of different things it all comes down to the same thing i am getting one step ahead of where you are as an audience member that's interesting so if we built from that the false transfer i show you the ring i put it in this hand i get some distance i let you forget that it was ever in the other hand Mm -hmm. so i'm sitting here i'm moving this when you're watching this one you've forgotten that it's still over here the whole time but i keep doing this big movements with this hand and then i open it you forgot where it came from. And I said, now it's magically <laughs> yeah. transferred back to this hand. Oof. Wow. Oh my God. I love this. And also, Kevin, I just want to say thank you because you don't have to reveal any more. But the fact that you just walked us through a trick makes sure. us feel no, very you, good. No, you absolutely don't have to tell us more tricks at all. You, you absolutely you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. That's great. By giving away a trick, in a lot of cases, it does diminish the value of watching it. You know, if if you see somebody do that in the future, your your immediate, your instant reaction is going to be, oh, I know how he did that. Mm-hmm. But if it's a good magician, if it's somebody who is has practice and is good at what they do, you may go a step beyond and say, wow, that is a beautiful false transfer. He pulled right. that off so you well. I know what it, it is. And I still did it. Penn and Teller, probably my two favorite living magicians, mm-hmm. they do an old one of the oldest routines ever is the cups and balls. Everybody's heard of it. There are actually Egyptian hieroglyphics of people doing the cups and balls routine. So it's been around for a long time. And there are lots of different versions of it, routines of it, but mostly it's built off of the same types of sleight of hand. There has, there haven't been a lot of technological advances in cups since Egyptian (laughs) times. Uh, Cups so don't change. Yeah, it's sleight of hand. It's the one ahead principle. It's you know creating that distance so you don't remember exactly what happened, and your brain will will build on that later when you tell the story. It kind of grows in people's imagination. You say, and then he just waved his hand that set the cups. He never stepped anywhere near them, and that's not what happened. But that's how your brain remembers it. Uh, so the the legend kind of grows in the and this is the trick where you have three cups and you put a ball under one of them and then you go boom boom boom. Yes. yes. Um, well, there, yes. there's boom, infinite boom, boom, boom. variations. Yeah. That sounds more like um, like the shell game where you spin the cups around and you try and guess which one it's yeah. under. Yeah. Which one are you yeah, talking there's, about? The, there's that, uh-huh. and that that is certainly plays into lots of the cups and balls routines. But there's also you put a ball on top of a cup and cover it with other cups and it drops down to the table. Oh, uh, you know, there, wow. there's, or something unexpected appears under a cup. Usually that's kind of the finale. You do this whole thing with all these little small balls and then people think the trick is over and then you raise the cups and there's giant pickles under them or something. Where do the pickles come from? <laughs> I love it. They, the magician takes it in an offhand moment. So, I don't have my cups here in front of me, but imagine I've got three cups in front of me and I raise one and there's a ball under it that you're not expecting. Everybody's looking at that ball. A lot of times I'll even hit it with the cup so that the ball rolls forward. When you're looking at the ball, I'm using my other hand to load a pickle into that cup and then set the cup back down. You think I'm done with the cup. I grab that ball and it's just sitting there for five minutes. You think it's just balls, but it's all pickles, honey. He's he's grabbing a pickle when you're not looking. He's grabbing. You got to watch out. Those pickles spring out out anywhere. (laughs) He's a pickle thief. Kevin, that's amazing. Wow. That's so great. Now, 
I want to move on to this other topic that you mentioned to us in uh, our correspondence that I thought was so interesting. <laughs> because you were so proficient at sleight of hand and card tricks, you were employed by a casino to teach the people who worked at the casino how to watch out for con artists or then how to trick people as well. Yeah. Can you tell us about well, that? That wasn't my my job title. Uh, my official sure, sure. title at the, at the <laughs> casino was just a, a poker room card dealer. Okay. I, I dealt poker games. But the, the card room supervisor was a gentleman named Sean. He was actually my replacement. I, I used to be a magician at a theme park, and he was the person who was hired to replace me when I moved on. So I taught him a lot of stuff about you know running the, the close-up magic section and mm-hmm. things like that. And he and I have been friends for years. When he got hired in that position, he told the, the owners of the casino, look, you've got to track down this Kevin Smith wherever he is and offer him a job because he knows more about how to cheat at cards than anybody I have ever met. You're my hero. So, so <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> and I, I accepted because it sounded like an amazing experience and it really was. Uh, I learned a lot about casinos. I had, I, I was still pretty young. I was still in college when this casino opened and uh, hadn't really spent any time in them. So I, I learned a lot that just kind of built on my knowledge from cards and gambling, et cetera. But there were times, uh, both before the casino opened and after it was already open, that they did ask me to do like a little demonstration or seminar for the um, the surveillance techs and for the other, like the oh, card wow. room, the floor techs, mm-hmm. the people who would walk around, supervisors, whose job it is to watch the games and see if they can spot cheaters or something weird going on so those were my favorite parts of the job sitting there and it's like doing a magic show but for people whose lives revolve around cards and yeah are pretty knowledgeable so it was you it's think a, a magician audience. has heat well no it's it's <laughs> terrible oh, audience for a magician yeah. that, because they know a lot of what i'm doing and it's my job to try and get by with it or to to maybe help them think about it in a different way. So in this situation, are you the wow. dealer or are you the player? Yes. Both. Sometimes <laughs> <Okay>. both. <laughs> Everything. So what do you... He does it all, guys. He does it what all. What do you do to try to trick people? So, okay, well, f- for example, the first time I did a little seminar, I started out in the dealer chair. I said, okay, if I am a dealer at the casino, here are ways that I could think of that I could try and cheat. Uh, mm-hmm. Poker is a little bit different from a lot of casino games because you are not actually playing against the casino. Uh, okay. Blackjack, it's you versus the dealer. The dealer represents the casino. Slot machines, you're playing against the odds, but the odds are the casino. Poker is not like that. Poker is you playing against other civilians, other non-casino okay. employees. So. For that reason, that's the only game that I will play when I go into a casino. I won't do any of the others unless I just want to for fun. You know, craps is fun because you get to hold the dice and you get to roll them, but it's terrible odds. Um, And the best bets on a crap table are the ones that nobody does because they're no fun. Uh, Okay. Same thing with blackjack. Blackjack is probably the second most popular game. It may be the most popular. I I don't know. But... If you, there is a a mathematically 
perfect way to play blackjack. If oh, tell that has me. been figured. Well, I I can't. I don't know the specific, <laughs> okay. but it's, it has been figured <laughs> out. There are a finite number of combinations of cards that you can get versus cards that the dealer has, and if you play blackjack like a machine, like a computer, one hundred percent perfect, you can get your odds of winning a hand over the long run to roughly 50-50. Call it like 51-49, which is pretty good. It's like betting on a coin toss at the casino. You'll win a bunch, you'll lose a bunch. The casino still has that 51%. So over a thousand hands, they're going to win more than you. So that's how they stay in business. Now, there are things that you can do to go beyond 50-50 on blackjack. I'm sure you've heard, you know, you hear terms like card counting yeah. and mm-hmm. um, things like that. Card counters can get that, those odds much, much higher. And it's not illegal. Uh, certain sections of Nevada, the last time I looked, had actually tried to make card counting illegal. But I believe that the, the decision that came down from the Gaming Commission was that it's not illegal. But they can still ask you to leave if they believe that you're doing it. But how are they going to know? Because it's all in your mind. You know, mm, not really. Uh, there, there are proven methods for card counting, and all it's doing is basically keeping track of high cards versus low cards that are still in the deck, and it's increasing your odds. You're never going to know with 100% certainty what the next card is, but if you know that most of the cards that you would need to win are already gone, you don't want to bet high. Right, right, right. But if Okay. If you know that most of them are still remaining, you've got a better chance so you can bet higher. That's essentially what card counting is. They do lots of things to make it harder for you by adding in additional decks so there are lots and lots to go with or shuffling them more often so that all the counting that you do doesn't really help. But the way that cheaters and casinos have countered that is by working together. They get a team of people all working together to uh, keep track of the cards. And then when they know that the, the deck is favorable for somebody to come in and bet, they will signal their confederate. Oh, that's, that's the magician term a colleague or their, their buddy, uh, to come in and place a high bet. And the casino, the person watching says, well, this person just sat down at the table. There's no way he's counted these cards. Uh, so I guess he just got really lucky on that. But really, it's his friend who's been losing all night that's mm-hmm. counting the cards yeah. and just letting him know when to come in and bet. Oh, so wow. it's, a, it's, a part, it's a tag team. So when you were sitting down giving that demonstration, mm-hmm. was the first one you did poker? What did you? What was your first demonstration? Almost exclusively poker because I, that was, okay. that's where I worked 40 hours a week. I was at a poker table. Okay. Um, I'm a, a gambler or a, a scammer at a poker table in the dealer position, there are ways that he could do it. Um, first would be marking cards. That, that's a big one for poker games. There are lots of ways that if, I, if I'm dealt a card, either as a player or as, uh, as the dealer, if I come across the card, say it's an ace. And I know I want to remember that ace and be able to do things with that ace later on. I could mark it. I could get a little bit of ink from a hidden like ink pad in my hand and just put a tiny little dot on the bottom that nobody would notice. And then anytime anybody who's looking for it sees that ace from the back, they know it's an ace. And then I would just do something like 
hold on to it while I'm dealing the cards. And then when I see my buddy who's in the fourth spot, I would deal him that one. So that's where you hear terms like dealing seconds. Uh, I shuffle the cards. I see an ace on top. I deal the second card, the second card, the second card. Then my buddy gets that top card. That's the And ace. are these common scams that casinos run or like? No, casinos don't. Okay. Um, I don't. Because you said when you're going to a casino, you'll only play poker. Is that because you mm -hmm. think casinos are scams? Uh, oh, casinos are scams. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yes. But poker, poker, the casino doesn't care who wins. One person at the table is going to win. And it's not mm. the casino. Unless it is a scammy casino who may have undercover employees working at the table oh, and oh, okay. playing, playing with the house's money. I get um, it. That makes sense. They certainly used to do that. I'm sure they still do. Uh, to my knowledge, our casino never had anything like that. So marking cards is a big one. And it doesn't have to be ink. You could you could put a tiny little dent in it with your fingernail. If you put oh, it in wow. the right place and you just know where to look for it, anytime you see it, you'll know that that's an ace. Yeah. There are high-tech versions of that where people use like invisible ink that can only be seen if you're wearing a certain kind of glasses or contact lenses. Oh, I love that. That's so fancy. But I guarantee the cameras up above have those filters as mm. well. And oh. if you mark something, they're going to see it that way. But the, the fingernail one would be the one that I would go with mm -hmm. because you always have it with you. You don't have anything else. And it can be explained away. You just say, oh, I'm just fiddling with my cards. I didn't mean to put that little dent in it. Mm. You know. Uh, and nobody notices. Wait, but how come poker is the only game you'll play at a casino? Oh, yeah. I keep getting distracted. That's okay. So if I'm playing blackjack, again, I'm playing against the house. So they've got the advantage. They've got the 51% versus my 49. So they will win more hands than they lose. Poker, I'm only playing against other players. So there's a chance for every other player at that table to be terrible. They could be tourists. They're, you know... Never played poker before, but boy, this sure looks fun. I can beat them consistently. Uh, so people who play poker regularly get very good at it, and they can beat people who are not good at it. And in a casino environment, you could be seated against a whole bunch of experts, but most likely you're going to be seated against a bunch of people. Dummies. Say, yeah, 70 people who are dummies or tourists or whatever uh you may have 30 percent that are good players but those players recognize each other and they they know to get out you know if mm -hmm. i'm if i'm betting big against some tourists i'm going to take their money and they'll just kind of step back and wait for their so turn. it's the only that's how i won against 80 guys <laughs> you did <laughs> i won a poker championship against 80 guys really and I was really, I was really good at it, and I'd been playing poker my whole life. And my poppy taught me how to do it at literally like five years old, just like you started with magic. And no one thought I could do it, and I was nice and chatty, and then beat him. Good job. And that's how you smash. I will always brag about that. I'm very proud. And that's how you smash the patriarchy. Mm -hmm, uh, did you mm -hmm. win big? Uh, I think I won like I didn't win that much, and then the guy I beat cried, so I gave him a little bit. Ew. <laughs> He was a real weenie weenie. Yes. Yeah. So, but Kevin, it sounds like you play poker because it's the only thing that you truly have control over. Yes. Oh, yeah. um, the, you, 
a good poker player can consistently win in the casino. Mm. That's about the only game that, that you can consistently I can imagine win. saying that about. Okay, gotcha. Now, what other things when you were teaching these classes did you cover when you were the player as opposed to the dealer? The most common would probably be um, like scamming with the chips, either, you know, casually like reaching your hand over and grabbing one of somebody else's chips or shorting the pot. And a lot of times casinos are pretty strict about this. They, they have rules in place to prevent you from doing things that would, that you could easily get away with in a home game. The most common is called splashing the pot. That's where say you have to bet five chips of whatever denomination and you just grab a stack of four and throw them into the big pile. Who could count if you counted, if you threw four or five, but in a casino, you have to just set your chips in front of you. The dealer will reach over and expose those chips for the camera so that they can see that you paid five. Mm-hmm. Everybody at the table can. So the, the casinos put in these very strict rules to prevent most ways that players could cheat. But one thing that they cannot prevent is collusion. That's what we were talking about earlier, like with Confederates, where you have you and your three buddies from high school all seated at different parts of the table, all working together and signaling each other, letting them know what kind of hand you have. And then maybe they kind of bet to make the pot bigger and it gets more people in that are not part of your team. But the pot's just too exciting to get out of. And uh, who cares? You're, you and your three buddies are splitting the money afterwards. So right. collusion is probably the biggest avenue that a, a player could use to cheat. And that's kind of fun because they have all sorts of codes and mm-hmm. the different words that they can use to kind of signal what card they have. Uh, there are actually like internationally recognized gamblers codes So you could go in and sit down at a a home game or a game at some bar and you recognize that the other person might be a fellow scammer. You can (laughs) use one of these kind of international words. And if they respond, you know that they know the code. So then even though you've never met the person before, you can scam with them. You can cheat. That's an incredible connection. (laughs) Tell me the code. Tell us the code. Okay. Um, a lot of them are based off of mnemonic memory systems. So the the one that I learned a long time ago, and it was published in like 1900, it's been around for a long time, uh, was the Roth memory system. A, a lot of current day memory systems are kind of built off of these techniques. And it goes into a lot of other stuff. And the Roth system is definitely not a scam. Like it's amazing. It allows you to memorize things like you would not believe. Uh, and it's free. They're like it's public domain. You can look up a PDF for the Roth memory system today and read it. It's and it's kind of fun. It, it's got quaint old language and uh, stuff like that. But in it, one of the things that they do is they assign letter values for certain numbers. The human brain does not retain numbers well. You know, you can memorize a, a list of ten words much easier than you could memorize a list of 10 random numbers That's in most interesting. cases. Yeah. So to, to counteract that, they give numbers letter values. For instance, one would be T or D. And if you think about it, it makes sense. The T and the D both have a vertical 
component. Yeah. It, it looks just straight up, especially the lowercase. Uh, two would be in, like Nancy. And that makes sense too, because there's one, two. Like as you draw the in, it's got two uprights. Can you guess what the third letter would be? It's got w, one, two, e three. Or M. W would be a good guess, but e. turn it upside down. E. M. M. Oh. Because the M has basically three vertical lines. One, two, three. Oh, yeah. Makes sense? Mm-hmm. So knowing that, if even just knowing one, two, three, and you don't have to know the specific words, if I tell you that the vowels don't mean anything, okay, they're, they're just like filler. But if I was wanting to secretly communicate a number to you, and I said the word team, what number was I communicating? One. Thirteen. Well, you got it. Oh! Okay. Because you got ta for one yeah. and ma for three. So 13. Yeah. And E and A, if they're the vowels that you don't use, you exactly. throw them out. Wait, give, us an, exactly. give me another one. Okay. This one's for Sue. Time. All right. 13. Exactly. <laughs> or Tim or Tome. 13. Or two. But you can't say two TWO because then it's like you might as well be saying a number. Well, that's you one. Can't. I mean, if, if it was established <laughs> that you were using this code, I would know that you were communicating one. Yeah. And you so you just use the code and you wait for somebody at the th- at the table to catch on. And then you yeah. and then you how would I you mean, start? How would you like and okay. then you scan together? At the table. Yeah. Sue and I are at the table. We have our cards out. Obviously, we're con artists because we're wearing Obviously. t-shirts that say "Scam Well yeah. Podcast." Yeah, yeah. And, Daddy um, Fox. You, Daddy Fox. Yeah, Daddy Fox exactly. all night long. So then you turn to us and you're like, "Hey, girls, what would you say to start yeah. the con conversation?" I would have to, you know, I'd, I'd have to suspect that you were scammers at first, and I, I'd want to confirm it. So I'd be like, "Oh, it's um, seven o'clock. I got to go get." I got to go pick up that cake. Mm-hmm. And then cake is seven is cup. That one's easy okay. for me to remember because seven, Kevin, seven, cup, cup, seven, cup. Um, and I would say it, anything that started with the, with the C sound or uh, I would try and associate the number with the word and see if you pick up. Okay. On and the way that, you would re- respond would maybe be to transmit another one of those words back to me, just like I did with you. I said team for Caitlin, but I said time for Sue. Yeah. So I might say team to you and you say, oh, well, yeah, it's about time. Well, now I know you know the code. Wow. Oh, I love this. This is like That's going so to a cool. bar and like picking people up. I don't know. This is so exciting. Yeah. This is also how we'll meet our new best friends. Like if people can team in time and Tim with us, we're like, yeah. oh, we're all we're all in this together. This is called the Roth memory system. It probably has a different name that it goes by. But Roth memory system was the one that I learned. Yeah. And ev- everyone that I have looked at uses these same sounds. Four, four is R. It even sounds like four, four. R. Have you ever R. tried it okay. like in legit to scam? I have never run across anybody that I felt knew the code. I used it <laughs> magic all the time. How you use it magic? Oh, cool. To talk oh, to other magicians? Mind reading. Yeah. If if I if I were somewhere and my wife knew the code and I say, okay, I'm gonna turn my back and you just pick a pick a number between one and a hundred, and then a, a minute later she says, Oh, looks like it's about time to go. 
I'd be like, oh, it's 13. Wow. Yeah. Wait, because G is what? Remember, T well, is one. Time. Oh, time to go. Right. Yeah, got it. And the more familiar you are with the code, it's, it becomes super easy to pick out which word. What if is you thought it was 131? Because <laughs> it's time to go. Yeah. Well, usually by, by setting the parameter, making it between one and 100, uh-huh. I know it's going to be oh, that's pretty true. short. And See how short-sighted I am. I don't no, remember no, no. your rule. <laughs> you haven't read the book yet. I got to read it. I'll email you. That's okay. Thank God. So Kevin, what were some of the other um, sleight of hand tricks? I think that's so interesting with card playing. With What were things you had people look out for? There, there was one time that I got asked to kind of weigh in on a situation the, the surveillance team had noted a discrepancy in a, in a particular dealer's movements. Okay. And that's, that's fairly uncommon. Uh, and they, they had a, a percentage. They said his, um, his movement or his pattern has changed 13% over the last week. And wow. I was like, okay, what, what is he doing? And that, the reason that's uncommon is because the way the dealers make their money is by getting out as many hands as possible. Sure. Because they usually get a, a one or two dollar tip after every hand, or five or a hundred, depending on how big it is. But they get money each hand, so it's in their interest to make the game go as quickly as possible, get as much out as they can. This dealer had added something in to his s- structure of movements that had increased his time per hand by thirteen percent, which is pretty significant. Yeah. Um. So. They they had isolated it. They knew what he was do- doing, and it was suspicious. But they didn't know why he was doing it. So that's why they asked me to look at the footage. It was the first time I ever got to go up into the surveillance room. Ooh, cool. Um, yeah, which was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. That place is amazing. Um, but what he was doing is dealers take money out of each pot, um, like a, a small percentage to pay the casino. So say a pot gets to be $20, they may take two $1 chips out of that and set them aside, which is going to go to pay the casino. And there's a device that's usually to the dealer's right. And it's like a little drop box. It's called the gator. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, they they put the chips on there uh, because they may have to add, you know, if the pot gets bigger, if it goes to 30, they may take another, you know, 1% out. So they take three chips. When the hand is all done, one of the last things the dealer does is pull on a little lever, which drops the gator chips down into a a vault. Yeah. What this dealer had added to his procedure was taking the chips out of the pot, setting them next to the gator, doing the rest of the hand like normal, then at the end, moving them from the table to the gator and dropping them. Uh So it was just that extra little, one last little move to put them in the gator and then drop it. As soon as I saw it, I said, this is really bad. He is stealing from the casino. Oh. He was using that extra move of grabbing the chips and putting them into the gator because he had a stack at that point and he would palm the top one. He was retaining a single last chip in his hand, ah. secretly holding on to it, dropping the gator. And then later when he got thrown a tip, he would drop it and the one that he secretly kept into his tip bucket. Damn. Wow. And could you tell that right away? 
yeah, I, I knew exactly what he was That's doing. That's so cool. Uh, and and I, I told them, and I said, so what happens? Is he like get fired yeah. or arrested? And I said, no, we're just going to continue to monitor him. And they they kept video footage of him until they had documented $2,000 that he stole. And then it was a felony. Wow. Uh, and, wow. and that's when they arrested him. Damn. Dumb 18-year-old kid ruined the rest of his life. Wow. To steal a couple of bucks out of every pot. But that was uncommon yeah. though. So were there lots of situations like that or was it No, that was that was the most egregious that I saw. Where was this casino? Uh in Oklahoma, where I okay. where I Wow, that's cool. That's so fascinating. <laughs> and wait, that is so fascinating. since you've seen the room where the security <laughs> stuff is, like how many cameras are like above each table? Is it like seven? Or one. Every casino, I'm sure, is completely different. And I wasn't up there much. They they really did not like letting of course surveillance people yeah. up there. But they they wanted me to review this, and they didn't want to get let the footage out of there. Uh, but there were a lot, really uh, more than I as an employee had any idea. Were there. Wow, wow, cool. on each table. And so, were there a ton of people in the surveillance room? Is it like packed because no. everyone's monitoring the same? It, it was a big room, um, but it wasn't like crowded. They they would have you know one technician sitting there in front of like four monitors, each with a whole bunch of different little views, and they they were just kept cycling through them. Three of the monitors had multi displays, and one had a big zoomed in display. So, wow. would you say that if someone wanted to scam a casino, would you advise against it? Yeah. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I thought. They can't Ocean's Eleven themselves. I'm sure somebody can, and yeah. I I did it a very small number of times just to see if I could get away with sure. it. Sure. There... Tell us what you do. <laughs> so normally in just day to day poker dealing, they use an automatic card shuffler. They'd have two okay. decks. They they would deal one out, gather all those in at the end of the hand, and drop it into a thing which shuffles them. At the same time, they grab a different deck that's already been shuffled and they start using that to speed right. things along. So usually they're using an automatic shuffler. Not much you can do to bypass sure. that. But in tournament play, I don't know if it was tradition or what, but they always had the dealers do hand shuffles. Okay. Which again, we can do very quickly because we do it all day, every day. We, you know, we learn how, we go through intense training. But Sometimes just because I wanted to see if I could get away with it, I would do a false shuffle. I would do something that looked like I was really shuffling them. And it absolutely was. They they just were still as messed up as when they were given to me. Did you get away with it? Yes. I no never, never had anybody <gasps> say anything. You're really good though, Kevin. Your friend said, bring him in from the yeah. theme park. He's the best. And it, it was it was not to help anybody. It didn't provide any advantage to anyone. Just curiosity. What you would do is you would shuffle three times. One, two, three. Then you would cut the cards. You do what's called a strip. Then you would shuffle one more time and then you would cut it. So they're getting mixed in. Maybe of those three shuffles, I would do one false shuffle just to see if I could yeah. throw it in. See if anybody caught it. Just for, just for you. Personal victory. Just for yeah. you. Yeah. Wait, so can oh we gosh. go back to this Ross um, mind read? Mind <laughs> sure. I the mind reading it. scam. So if you're with your wife there and you're reading her mind, um, is the purpose of that just to show that you can do it? Like how, if you're a mind reader, how do you read the next person's mind? Are they all plants? No, they're not. They're not all plants for sure. Um, there's usually, 
there's usually some sort of methodology involved. Uh, in fact, in the in the magician episode that you guys did early on, there was a mind reading trick, right? Um, yes. He did. Yes. He wrote some predictions down on slips of paper yeah. and they turned out to be correct. I blocked it out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, He's no I, Kevin Smith, okay? Uh, I, I can't, I can't no, remember anything. I really don't want to trash him because he—he's no, very—he was great. very knowledgeable. Yeah. He was—he just did what a lot of magicians do and perform. Yeah. But that—that that trick used the one ahead principle, um, where he knew something that was going to happen in advance. Sure. So all—all all he would have to do is write down the prediction for the thing he knew was going to happen first, and fold it up and put it in the little bowl. Then phase one happens when and he he acts like he's already made the prediction for that. Then phase two starts and he writes a prediction for that. Really, he's just writing whatever happened in phase one. Oh, folds it up and puts it in there. And then the same thing for phase three. He writes what happened in phase two because he's already got the phase three prediction written down. Wow. It's more, it sounds more complicated than it really is, but that that's what's happening in something like that. He he knows in advance whether it's going to be him forcing a card uh, and forcing is just a term meaning I make you select the card that I want. Right. Right? Millions of ways of doing that. Uh, or maybe he, all he needs is to secretly know one thing in advance and then he just works backwards from there. Okay. That's so cool. Amazing. That's so cool. What, um, with like, Card sleight of hand. I don't know. I'm so interested in this. Is there a lot of the like you said, sleeving or shuffling? Like as a player or cheater or dealer, whoever you are in this situation, would you could you ever get caught because you had like palmed an ace and then it turns out there's five aces suddenly in the deck? Like is okay, guys. He's showing. <gasps> you guys, Kevin Smith is showing us cars magically reappearing and disappearing. From his hand. Whoa! Oh, shit. He's just he's just flipping around his fingers and cards, cards are coming and, cards and going. Are coming it's crazy. From everywhere. <laughs> just flying all over the place. It's magic. So a lot of a lot of what magicians do would not be practical in a card okay. game. If I made an ace appear out of nowhere, I would get kicked from the table. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, if, probably. If I did any of that, nobody would if want you just, to play with me. And they spined your ear, dealer. Pull it out of someone's ear. Right. So as far as like the kind of bridge between magicians and gambling, it doesn't take much. There's not a whole lot that I would need to do to sit down at a table, especially a home game where they don't have these strict rules and cameras and people are drunk and, you know, not paying super close attention. It would not take much for me to maybe mark a card or maybe hold out an ace. So when everybody passes their cards in, I just I just retain that ace secretly in my yeah. hand. Mm-hmm. And and just save it and let let a couple hands go on and then suddenly I get two aces. Well I just add my third ace to there and suddenly that hand has gotten a lot better. So you don't cheat every hand. You don't secretly stack up a royal flush and deal it to yourself it's you just take little things that give you enough of an advantage that you can win some more bets okay that's that's, interesting that's the key to cheating in a home game that's so interesting uh kevin what has been a magic trick or you know sleight of hand or con or something that you saw another magician you that 
did that just blew you away? You don't have to give it away to us, but can you tell us something where you saw and you were like, oh my gosh, that's so interesting yeah. and clever. And you don't have to tell it yeah. how it was done. Yeah. Uh, well, there were some stories about my my favorite magician, Di Vernon. I mentioned him earlier. And I never saw him perform this, but I heard the story of him mm. doing it. And it changed I, it changed the whole way that I do magic. Mm. It, oh, wow. It, it absolutely floored me. And it was, it was so brilliant. He would wait so long. You know, we talk about getting one ahead. He right. would get a thousand steps ahead. He, one time he was going to, I think it was Cuba. I'm pretty sure <laughs> uh, he, he used to go there. I know he liked to smoke cigars. So that would, that would hold true. But he, he was working with, or he was meeting some person in the military, like a, a general or something that okay. he knew. And he knew that this general loved to smoke cigars. He, he always had the same specific thing. And I'm sure that's how they bonded. So Dai figured out where, where he got his cigars from. He tracked down the guy who rolls those cigars. And he said, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to take this card. And I think it was just like a snippet of the card. Like, like he tore a corner off of it. Mm-hmm. He said, take this corner, roll it up into a cigar. Uh, in fact, roll one up into every cigar in this case. I want a case of cigars that have these corners in them. Uh, so mm-hmm. he did. And then Dai had that box of cigars given to this general and he didn't know which one he was going to get, but he, he saw him select one out. Dai knew which card went with which cigar in there. He oh did a gosh. trick and he said, all right, li- let's light up. He, he pretended like he tore the, the corner off and then the guy lit the cigar and as it burned down, about 30 minutes later, it got low enough. He said, hold on. I see something in there. He reaches in and he pulls out the corner of the card and it matches. Oh my no. But he, he planned that, you know, months in wow. advance and he would just wait. And if it didn't work, if the guy didn't want a cigar that time, he, his mindset was just, oh, well, you know, it, all it did was, a, wow. you know, tip the guy 20 bucks to roll it up and yeah. it would have been great if it had worked. Wow. wow. That's a good con. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was why it changed my outlook because I, before I heard that story, I was the kind of magician who would walk around with a deck of cards in his pocket and be like, Hey, you want to see this trick? Hey, can mm-hmm. I do this for you? And he was so yeah sneaky and he would wait for that perfect moment yeah and just and then suddenly when somebody says hey can you do a trick and he's already prepared it a year in advance and you do that that seems like a miracle that doesn't seem like a magic trick that uncle joey could do this is oh my gosh he can really long con it's also amazing it's also sort of the celebration and delight it seemed like this he had such a joy in the surprise and wonderment that came with magic to other people. I mean, that's sort of the thing that we haven't talked about yet because I just wanted to be in, I just want to be a secret magician. But that idea and appreciation for the shock and amazement that comes over the audience's face when you do a great trick. <laughs> it, it's a wonderful feeling. Um, mm. in, in one of my 
other jobs I worked at. I was a ballroom dance instructor. Yes. And oh my God. Kevin, we haven't even scratched the surface on that. I, I don't like working in something that's not interesting. I've, I've had some weird jobs <laughs> over the years. And, but one of the things I had to deal with a lot with uh, students of mine was stage fright. They, they okay. would get incredibly nervous before a, a dance thing. And, and most of my students were adults. Yeah. You know, I'm, these, these aren't little kids. It's right. grown, grown people. And the way that I would coach them to get over it would be, I would teach them a simple magic trick. And I would say, Here, here's how to do it. I'm going to work with you for you know 10 minutes during your lesson each week on this. And I want you to do this trick for as many people as possible. You're not a professional magician. So it doesn't matter if you mess up. You know, you, you're just doing a trick. You're, you're trying to get it. Because the, the atmosphere as a magician that you deal with is so different from almost any other type of performance. Stand up yeah. like comedians, I, I feel like have it to some to mm -hmm. to a large extent. It's probably the closest I can imagine. If you are a dancer and you get up on the floor and you do terrible, you you fall flat on your face and your costume rips. The moment you stand up and start dancing again, everybody cheers like crazy. They True. they are with yeah. you. A magician gets up on stage. And their mindset is, I am smarter than every mm. single other person in this room. I am so slick. I'm going to fool you all. So th they're very uh, adversarial. Everybody in the audience is like, I'm going to catch you. I'm going to get you. So, yeah. yeah. If a magician messes up and then keeps going, they don't cheer. They they laugh and they point. Yes. So yes. That, that's like hecklers you know, for stand-up. Mm -hmm. So I what I told them is, if you can successfully do a magic trick, you never have to be afraid of public speaking again or dancing or any other type of performance. If you can do magic, you can do anything. You're a mentor. <laughs> what trick would you show them? Oh, it would be different all the time. Uh, something simple. Um, I, I've got a, a lot of great little card tricks that are, are built on something like a simple principle, yeah. but maybe it's got a, a long, interesting story that they have to get through or... Oh, cool. Um, most of it's normal, but there's one secret little move that they've got to slip in there when they're not watching. Uh, so, so it puts that pressure, puts the heat on them. Wow. Tell us about plant, like audience plants in magic. Uh, so those, those have a special word. There, there are special words and phrases for almost everything. Uh, typically a plant in a magic audience is called a shill. Those are the people that are in on it. They're, they're working with the magician. A lot of magicians look down on them. Uh, they, or, <laughs> I was just going to say, I want to be a shill. <laughs> no, no, it, no not, you don't. They don't look down on the shills themselves. <laughs> they look down on magicians who use a shill. Why? Yeah. Um, it's, it becomes for, for me, I try not to ever have one if possible. I am definitely not above using a plant, but I want it to be sparingly because if somebody says, hey, you know, you did this wonderful trick. Can you do it for me now? But I don't have a plant prepared. I, you know, I've got to come up with a, mm -hmm. some sort of excuse for it. But it's all in the, the name of the performance. It wants to be good. It would be very easy to 100% rely on shills. And usually that would be detected. You know, if I did something that was truly impossible and I just said, hey, random person, think of anything. And then I said, ah, Smurf. There's no way that that really happened. You know, that okay. that's a show. There, there are lots of uh, magicians and ways of accomplishing stuff that seems like that's what happened. 
but it probably wasn't. But if, if something is 100%, that's what the only way it could happen. It probably is. Lots of magicians do it. I see it most commonly on like television specials. Mm-hmm. Um, lot, lots of the, the magic that I see on TV today. Maybe the magician can do an effect that's very similar to what they show on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe they do that for a crowd of people and they get those people's reaction. But then the, the one that they actually show mm-hmm. is almost just a little too perfect. Mm, yes. And that, that is the camera editing trick or that that's when they use the plant. They, that's when they use the show. Um, mm-hmm. it, I see it a lot on TV magic specials, unfortunately. Mm. What about David Blaine? What do you so think of that guy? Yeah, what do you think of that guy? Am I going to get in trouble? He flipped me off in a book, <gasps> so I don't like him. <gasps> you don't like him! I think he's annoying and pretentious and probably cold because he's always standing on ice he's, or something. One time, no, one he's time... He's freezing. In, um, what do you call it, college, I was a freshman and he was in a block of ice in Times Square for like a week <laughs> or something. Yeah. We went to see it. <laughs> I can't with that cold, cold man. No. <laughs> He's like one step in the grave. I'm so sorry for him. No, but my issue with him was I saw him performing at a bar and I was really excited because I was a fan. I had seen his TV special. I had, uh, I, he inspired me to learn the Balducci levitation. Sure. Great. Wow. He did it. He did some tricks. They were very well received. They were very well performed. I waited until after he was done. He was no longer performing. I went up and introduced myself. I said, Hey, you know, my name's Kevin. I loved the the version of the two card Monty that you did. He said, "Oh, thanks. That's so great." I said, "Now you told those people that you invented it, which I get as part of the act, but you that that trick's much older than than what you said." <laughs> you called yes, him out, because, Kevin. Because, yeah, I, I I called him out, but privately, not privately. In front of him. I didn't put him on blast. And he's like, "No, I invented that." I'm like, "Dude." That that trick is in Erdnates. That was you know 1934. <laughs> that's that's wow. an old old thing, and, and he got really really pissed off and he flipped me oh. off. So oh. magicians, uh, most magicians are very big about giving credit to the originator of an effect. Yeah, right. Um, they they say, hey, I'm doing this thing that Di Vernon created. Here's my new spin on it. Here is you know, I here's a Bobo coin switch, but. Look what I did to improve it. But it's it's a like a point of pride to give credit to the people who created it. And it's um, it's really an appreciation to the people that created it too. Oh, it's appreciating sure. the craft and not being like an egomaniac about it, which right. Mr. Ice Ice Baby is a little yeah. full of himself. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he's a lovely person. It may just be his personality. He may really? have been drunk. No, he's just I, I cold as ice. I don't think he's <laughs> lovely. So the gist is fuck David Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> but not according to Kevin, just according to Caitlin and But don't Sue. cast any spells on me or nothing, Mr. Blaine. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. We're going to reveal thank you so much, Kevin. more hot secrets so on our Patreon episode. But yes, thank you for guys, coming. This is so fun. We're, if you want to, our Patreon subscribers, you're all going to hear a second interview with Kevin. Yes. Yay. Yes. Um, and you guys, if you have any magic scams or if you are a magic scammer, you can always email us at scamwellpodcast at gmail.com and let us know. And if you want to give us a call, because you know I love a phone call, our number is 347-509-9414 on our Hot Tip Hotline. Yeah, and then check out scamwildpodcast.com for merch and our Patreon and all of our back episodes and stuff. Also, I'm shouting out to you listeners, um, if anybody has any 
Any good t-shirt design ideas, send them our way. We're looking to add to our t-shirt collection for Scamwell Podcast. All right. We will see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy, but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled, or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.